0: Welcome to the Center for the Performing Arts at Penn State. I'm communications director, Laura Sullivan, and you're in tune with Previews. Austrian composer Albin Berg composed a work in 1910 that helped launch the modern era in music. Previews editor John Mark Rafis speaks with Charles Eumanns, associate professor of musicology at Penn State, about Berg the man and the significance of the composer's groundbreaking string quartet, opus 3. The American String Quartet performs the Berg composition along with works by Mozart and Brahms at Penn State.
1: This morning as you know we're going to be talking about Albin Berg and his String Quartet opus 3. I guess we should start out with uh, talking a little bit about who Albin Berg is. He was born in 1885 in Vienna which of course at the time was uh, the very cosmopolitan capital of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. But who was he?
2: Well, first of all, as you say, uh, he was a Viennese composer, which puts him in a long line of fantastic musicians, Haydn, Mozart, Beethoven, Schubert, Brahms, and uh, Mahler, Gustav Mahler, who was probably uh, Berg's idol, uh, aside from Arnold Schoenberg. Uh, he was an early 20th century modernist, someone especially famous for his uh, revolutionary treatment of pitch materials. Uh, it was his idea, along with Arnold Schoenberg and uh, Anton Webern, to kind of scrap the old tonal system of major and minor scales and to take a, a sort of anything-goes approach to uh, pitch material, which has uh, quite a strange effect for the ear, as the listeners will uh, will hear when they get a chance to listen to this Opus III uh, quartet. Berrick had an interesting background as well as a uh, as a musician he was the son of a wealthy businessman uh, and an amateur musician as he grew up but uh, only became a professional after he had failed at virtually everything else um, wasn't really interested in business didn't have a knack for that uh, had trouble in school had to repeat the what would for us would be the eleventh grade of high school and then Again, had to repeat his senior year, so barely got out of the gymnasium. Uh, Couldn't really make it as a civil servant. So became a musician when uh, his brother and sister saw a newspaper ad for this fellow Arnold Schoenberg, who was giving composition lessons. And Barrett had written some songs for the family. And so they said, uh, well, why don't you try that? And it, it turned out, well...
1: I understand that Berg, even though he didn't do well in, in traditional studies in school, always had a very keen interest in, in music and also especially literature. Did that interest in literature have any role to play in, in his compositions?
2: Sure, no doubt about it. Maybe more uh, strongly so in, uh, in his two operas, uh, Wozzeck, which is based on a romantic play by Georg Büchner, and uh, then Lulu, which is uh, based on a play by Vedekind. But certainly, uh, living in Vienna in the, in the first decade of the, of the 20th century, Berg was uh, very much uh, interested in what was happening all around him in terms of the secession, visual arts, uh, Gustav Klimt and that circle of artists, uh, Stefan George as a, a poet, the plays of Arthur Schnitzler—all uh, of this was kind of swirling in his head—and and he certainly, I think, wanted to create something in uh, in music that would uh, would stand up, stand comparison to those works in in terms of the novelty and the challenge that they presented to the society.
1: Arnold Schoenberg, who he began taking lessons from around 190. 19- Four, I believe, was really at the forefront of of modern music. What brought Schoenberg to that point? Was he a native of Vienna, or had he come to Vienna from somewhere else?
2: Uh, Schoenberg was uh, not a native of Vienna, but he was from the the region around Vienna and uh, made his way into the city as any good musician would have, as, as Mozart had done a uh, hundred years before. Berg, on the other hand, was a a kind of a Viennese uh, cosmopolitan. Uh, I think that that relationship is interesting between uh, Schoenberg and and Berg, uh, very different personalities. Schoenberg is uh, kind of an intense uh, person, maybe a little angry, kind of uncompromising, even moralistic in his artistic views. Berg was more uh, easygoing, friendly, kind. And open to uh, uh, maybe more musical influences than we uh, than we would find in Schoenberg. Uh, Schoenberg learned things about music from Berg, even though Berg was his student. Uh, Berg knew Debussy, for example. In Berg's music, we find the influence of jazz. Uh, tonal materials still make their way into Berg's uh, later atonal works. Uh, but in any case certainly for a long time, 1904 to 1911, Berg was a student of Schoenberg. He was a disciple, even kind of an errand boy. Uh, He did uh, Schoenberg's chores for him, and uh, essentially whatever Schoenberg uh, wanted from Berg, he got. And in return, Berg had uh, three solid years of training in counterpoint and harmony and, uh, theory and then four years of composition study, uh, after which the relationship deteriorated for, uh, for a while, for a few years
1: anyway. So Berg studied with him for about six or seven years, and as it turns out, the last work that he composed under the guidance of Schoenberg was the, the Opus Three Quartet, and in some ways I read that uh, it was a case of the apprentice outdoing the sorcerer.
2: That is, that's true. You know, this is, uh, on the one hand, uh, a homework assignment, uh, Berg's last big academic project for Schoenberg, uh, but on the other hand, I think it was a work that to some extent uh, even intimidated Schoenberg because it's a long composition. We have two movements. It was uh, intended to have only two movements, which is a little strange for a string quartet. Normally, they are four-movement works. But uh, each movement is about 10 minutes long. And uh, really, the principal problem that Schoenberg faced when he was experimenting with atonal composition was how to make... Uh, musical works longer than just a few minutes. That has to do with, with technical issues of musical tonality, but essentially the way that uh, composers can write symphonies that last for 45 minutes or single movements that go on for 10 or 15 minutes is that there's a kind of uh, integrating power of the tonal system that's completely lost when uh, when composers decide that they're going to pick any notes they feel like and pay no attention to the traditional chords and scales. Beric found a way to overcome that problem principally with a lesson that he learned from Schoenberg which was to use uh, melodic ideas, small motives to kind of sew together the texture across a long period of time. So uh, that's something to listen for in in both of the movements I think is the the development, the repetition but Uh, combined with variation of these very small uh, musical units and uh, the way that, in a contrapuntal texture, where you have four different melodies happening at the same time, there's a sort of uh, coherence created by the the motivic relationships. A a comparison might be the Fifth Symphony of Beethoven. We have da-da-da-da, and now we've got this four-note motive that becomes the the basis for not just a movement, but an entire four, four movement uh, symphony. Schoenberg stressed that in in the training of Berg, and Berg kind of took it a, a little beyond what Schoenberg was was capable of doing at that point. So there's an interesting kind of influence in both directions, teacher on student and student on teacher. I guess I would also say though is uh, is you approach a piece like this, it's useful also to think of musical elements other than pitch. For example, timbre, or what musicians refer to as tone color. Berg was very interested in exploring what kinds of new sounds he could get out of uh, two violins of viola and a cello. And so you will, you will see, as you're in the concert, the, uh, the bow all over the place on the violin, in, in strange locations, getting different kinds of sounds. And you will see and hear the music- musicians sliding their fingers up and down the, the fingerboard to get a kind of a portamento effect or a, a, the, the effect of a, a pitch that rises without breaks in between. Uh, and, and many other kinds of uh, effects that, that would have, I, I think, been somewhat shocking to the audience at the time. But it's important to remember, though, that Berg is, is trying to create a critique of the society in which he lives. This is, a, for Berg, a, a Philistine society, a society devoted to bourgeois comforts. And, uh, you know, he, he wanted to write an antidote to the Blue Danube. So uh, if, if you think of the Blue Danube as you're walking into the concert, you, you should get ready to hear the opposite.
1: Why should audiences of the 21st century care at this point? What is what is the lasting effect of this piece?
2: Uh, so many different ways to think of that. On the one hand, this is music that's intended as a kind of political critique. So the strangeness of it is not gratuitous. It, it has a point, or it, it had a point in the society. For Berg, uh, we consider, for example, a Brahms symphony. Uh, Brahms is still writing music uh into the eighteen nineties, which is not that far from Berg. Berg was alive, uh, too. I don't know if he would, if he attended Brahms's last uh, performance in Vienna uh, or there was a performance of the Fourth Symphony or Brahms is in the audience and it was a kind of farewell from the Viennese. But in any case, uh, Berg knew uh this music well and he knew that for Brahms music was music and that was it. Music was not a political statement. And now Berg is is treating music as something that plays a part in the in the negotiations of issues that are outside of music. In terms of uh well strictly musical language, certainly, uh there's a lot to be learned from from this quartet, and a lot to be taken from the, the contrapuntal nature of it, uh, and yet at the same time, it's a music. It, it, it's a piece that's very much uh, organized along classical lines. If you're thinking simply of form, the first movement is a sonata form piece, just as the first movement in Mozart's string quartets are in sonata form. The second movement is a rondo, which is something that you would often find in the last movement of a Haydn or a Mozart or a Beethoven quartet. So the mixture of old and new is, I think, something that uh, that we still find in all sorts of music in our own culture and is still very much with us as uh, uh, popular musicians, for example, negotiate with what does it mean to engage with an with an influence from an earlier era to sample someone else's music or to take someone else's idea but try to do something completely different with that idea. As far as atonality goes, uh, that's on the wane, I would say. There are still some composers out there who work in an atonal style, but it did not turn out to be the future of music as, uh, as some people thought.
0: Tickets are on sale now for a concert by the American String Quartet, October 21st at Schwab Auditorium. Order online at www.cpa.psu.edu or by phone at 1-800-ARTS-TIX. For the Center for the Performing Arts, I'm Laura Sullivan.